Good morning. I was supposed to be here a couple of weeks ago, and then I received this wonderful, compassionate call from your good rector, Kent Marku, saying, well, we'd like you to come, but we'd like you to come on a Sunday when there is heat. So was there heat? Did you have heat on the first Sunday of Advent, or what happened after that? A little hit and miss. little hit and miss. Okay. And he also said, we'd love for you to come anyway. It would be fine if you can, but we'd like a day when it's a little less dramatic. And so um, I'm very happy to be here, very happy to be with you, uh, Kent and Yolanda and Father Hayden and all of you. You know, I was looking around in the congregation this morning, and I, I think um, per person, per capita, if you will, St. George's must have one of the highest percentages of servants in the wider church than nearly any congregation in the diocese. Uh, Looking around you and seeing, I see so many of you. And I know that that's not just in service to our church, but um, that that's a symbol of your service to the wider world. And Um, and I give thanks to God for you. I also bring your greetings from one of your um, missionaries that you raised forth from this place. I was in the, I happened to be in Atlanta for just 24 hours this weekend in the good company of uh, the Right Reverend Rob Wright, and he sends you warm greetings, and I um, give you thank, I give God thanks for how you raised him up among many others who have gone forth from this place to serve God in um, in ways both uh, both large and small. All right. Well, I um, I wonder if some of you remember a movie that came out oh 10, 15 years ago. Um, it was called Jerry Maguire, and um, you remember that movie? And it was it was a Christmas movie actually. So it's kind of making the rounds on uh, YouTube these days. And um, so Tom Cruise's character is this selfish, driven man. Um, and the scene I want to recall for you is when, at near the end of the movie, he comes to his senses and returns to his ex-wife's house on, on or around Christmas Eve to beg her to take him back, right? And if you don't remember the movie, suffice to say that there was plenty of reasons for her not to do that. And uh, she happened to be gathered with a bunch of women around the um, fireplace in her living room. And they were all talking about how men were all losers and Christmas could be so depressing. And uh, Tom Cruise's character walks in, says hello. They barely noticed him. He says hello again. I'm looking for my wife. And his wife, played by Renee Zellwinger, stands up and listens to him as he begins what was obviously a well-rehearsed speech. How much he needs her, how much she completes him. He goes on and on, and finally she just says, shut up! Shut up! And then what did she say after that? You had me at hello. You had me at hello. There's a Jesuit priest by the name of Gregory Boyle who's been working for 30 years helping gang members and young people returning from prison create new lives for themselves. This is in Los Angeles. And in his his most recent book, he tells of a time early on in his ministry when his parish church wanted to start an alternative middle school for gang members who um, no, no other school wanted because they were wreaking such havoc wherever they went. And um, he said that the parish convent occupied the entire third floor above their parochial school. 
And so he gathered the six old Belgian nuns who lived there in their living room. And he said, hey, um, would, you, would you mind um, moving out, you know, so we could turn this convent into a school for gang members? And they looked at me, and they looked at each other, and they looked at each other again and said, sure. That was the entirety of their discernment process. <laughs> Let it be to us, just as you say. You had me at hello. How can this be? Anyone who's ever read or heard, as was so brilliantly read for us this morning, Mary, the story of Mary's encounter with the angel is, is rightly struck by how quickly she says yes. You know, she ponders for a moment, asks a question for clarification, ponders a bit more, and then says, okay, let it be with me as you say. Now, that exchange between Gabriel and Mary may not have transpired as quickly and as seamlessly as Luke tells the story, but then again, it just might have. You know, have you ever been invited to be part of something that spoke to you so deeply that you knew as soon as you heard it that the answer was yes? Now for Joseph, you may recall things unfold a bit differently as they typically do for men when a baby's involved. But to learn his side of the story, we have to meander over to the Gospel of Matthew. And there we learn that Mary is the one who tells Joseph the news about the baby, which is what women do, right? We tell the men about the baby, and he doesn't believe her at first. In fact, he doesn't believe her at all about the angel's visitation. And he plans to break off the engagement quietly, as a righteous man would do, at the news that his betrothed was pregnant, presumably with another man's child. But then, you remember... Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, a voice speaks and tells him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, and that the child is holy. You're to raise him as your son. His name is Jesus. And it's the first of several dreams that Joseph will have that will guide him on the early path of his parenthood, Dreams that speak to him at decisive moments, telling him exactly what to do. And for reasons known to him alone, he too pretty much says yes after he wakes up from that dream. So we have angels and we have dreams, which is the stuff of fairy tales maybe. But what Joseph and Mary share with every other human being is the experience of being faced with something so big, far bigger than they could ever imagine. And their task in that moment was to try to make sense of what was before them, incredible as it was, and respond rather quickly as it turned out. There wasn't a lot of time. And where did they go to do that work of sense-making? of pondering in the little bit of time that they had they went inside themselves Mary pondered in her heart 
Joseph listened to his dream. They listened, they pondered, they trusted their intuition, and they said yes. Now, I'd simply like to hover for the time we have on that inner experience for a moment to consider the mystery of the inner life we have, that place inside where we all must go to process a new idea, an unforeseen possibility, an extravagant invitation, and determine in a relatively short period of time how we will respond. And to consider the daring proposition that in that space, wherever it actually is inside us, sometimes God speaks with astonishing clarity. Sometimes it's clear. Now, there's a story in the Jewish Bible you, you may know about a prophet named Elijah who was fleeing for his life and he found himself standing alone on a mountain and he was desperate to hear a word from God. You remember there was a great wind, so strong that it split the mountains and broke rocks into pieces, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after that, there was an earthquake and the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after that, a fire and the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. Or as another translation calls it, that still, small voice. Now one pastor writing about that passage said, you know, we tend to overlook the, the natural phenomenon before the still silence, but that was pretty impressive. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. Um, he said... You know, God knows, God has an outside, outside voice and knows how to use it. But in that moment, God was whispering. And why would God whisper? This pastor wondered. Why would he whisper? His, his answer was, well, you know, when you whisper, you're inviting someone to draw close to you. Right? When you're whispering... You want proximity. You want intimacy. God speaks to us in a whisper when the encounter is as important as the message, when the relationship lingers to carry us through whatever decision is before us. So I stand before you today encouraging you and encouraging myself to hold as sacred that place inside us where God can whisper. And how do we do that? How do we protect that space when there's so much noise, right? So much noise around us. Some of it inflicted upon us. Some of it we, we grab for ourselves because the silence can be so unnerving sometimes, right? So scary, so disorienting. And yet, what if we need just that space to hear what God is whispering? So think for, for yourself. Where do you... And how do you do that? 
How do you protect? How do you create space for silence and the possibility of God whispering? Some would suggest to us that we need, each one of us needs a time every day when we just sit down in a chair and don't do anything else. Just sit down and be quiet. Others, like Joseph, would say, no, yeah, do that, or pay attention to your dreams. Um, For others, that pondering uh, just requires movement, you know, a walk or a run, anything that also engages the body as well as the mind. Um, You know, I... I love the images we have of uh, President Obama during his eight years in office and all the time he spent shooting baskets, you know? Shooting baskets, pondering the weight of the world on his shoulders. What was he going to do? Shooting baskets, thinking it through. I'm, I'm one of those people, and my husband's here, and he can attest to this. I, um, I putter around when I ponder, you know? I putter as I ponder. So the house gets really clean when I'm pondering, um, or, I, uh, or I start throwing stuff out of closets, you know. But, I, but I, something's, I just have to work it out, right? And I allow God into that space. I, all I'm saying is there's more than one way. There's more than one way to create that space inside for God to whisper. I'm just asking you to remember, and I'm asking myself to remember how important that is. Um, Now, sometimes, as we're doing this, like Mary or Joseph or Renee Zellwinger's character or the nuns, sometimes the answer comes right away, right? And we just know it. And other times, it doesn't come right away. It's a longer process of sorting out. And, And sometimes we can... We can delay whatever decisions are before us, or sometimes we're just dealing with something that isn't going to be resolved anytime soon, and we just have to show up for that emptiness for a while until clarity comes. We can't, it's one of the things you can't fake, you know? You can't fake being clear. Is that, you know? You cannot fake that. And the good news is we don't, ha- once, once, someone said that to me once, and as soon as, as, soon as he said it, he sa- what, what he said actually, this was advice he gave me, a, a priest in the diocese gave me as I came into this job, he said, he said um, to me, Marianne, do us a favor and don't pretend not to be clear when you are clear about something. It's really helpful advice. Like, don't pretend for the sake of, you know, a relationship or process. If you've made up your mind about something, just be honest with us and tell us you've made up your mind, right? But the the other side that I heard to that was, if you haven't made up your mind or if you're not clear, don't pretend that you are, right? Wait until clarity comes, right? So here's... so. And I don't know about you, but that can be a pretty anxious time. And I, one of the things that our spiritual traditions can give us are ways to cope with that. I mean, if you think about it, the Bible is a really long story with a, lot, a few things happening, and in the meantime, a lot of people waiting around for something to happen. 
right? Or remembering something that happened and hope it's going to happen again. And so what do we do in the waiting time? Here's one example. And this, this comes to us, um, it, it has a number of forms, but the example that I'll share with you is a version of this that I read in a, in a very simple book on prayer. And it's called Sleeping with Bread. And the title of the story comes from a, um, something that actually happened right after the Second World War when children who had been caught up in that war and had been um, on the verge of starvation um, were taken from the whatever places they were rescued, and many of them were orphans, and they were taken to places where they were cared for again. And, um, but one of the things they realized about the children was that they, they had forgotten what it's like to remember that there would always be enough food for them. So whenever food was put before them, they would eat themselves almost sick because they just didn't know when the next meal would come. And the way that their caretakers um, helped them through that time was gave them all a loaf of bread to go to sleep with at night. So if they woke up in the night and they were hungry, there was a loaf of bread right there. And so begin to remind their muscle memory that they didn't have to panic about food. And the authors of this book took that image to say, if every night before you and I went to bed, we simply took note of where we felt most alive during that day, the last day that we had, where we felt any sense of connectedness to God or just felt gifted about life. And if we just remembered that and took note of it and also remembered where we felt depleted or exhausted or where we felt life was being drained from us. And if we didn't judge that or evaluate, but it just, just took, took note of it every day, they contend that over the course of a month, or a year, looking back, we would have clarity of the places in our lives where God wants us to be more fully alive and where God would gently move us away from the things that are depleting us on the assumption that God wants us to have more life and wants us to um, have less of those things in our lives that are just exhausting us like hamster wheels taking us nowhere. The whole point of it being is that during a time of waiting, we're practicing paying attention to God so that should a moment of clarity come in the form of a whisper, we're actually ready to receive it. We've prepared our hearts to receive it. Now, I don't want to leave you with the impression that this is easy or that we always get complete clarity because we don't. But a little bit of clarity at the right moment can go a very long way. Right? Years ago, and I'm going to bring this home in a second, but years ago I met an Episcopal priest who was serving as the director of a camp and retreat center in the diocese where I was serving at the time. And at the time we met, he was leaving his position as camp director to work in a residential program for troubled teenagers. And I was about to leave the diocese as well to take my first job as a rector in Minnesota. And so we met at this retreat center, and he was, I was telling him about my life, which was sort of going on this you know, exciting new trajectory. And he was telling me about his life, which was um, to go leave this 
program to become the director of this residential program. And he said something I've never forgotten. He said, I've been preparing all of my life for this job. And I didn't know him very well, but I had the feeling he was telling me a lot about himself in that sentence. Maybe about his own childhood, his own acquaintances with trouble, uh, a failure here and there. He was telling me about his repertoire of gifts and his passion, and that he felt himself to be moving into a place of great potential to exercise those gifts. Now, this was clearly not a step up on any vocational ladder in terms of advancement, but it was for him what his entire life was preparing him to do. And when the invitation came, he was ready. And I, he was about 25 years ahead of me in ministry at the time, but I remember thinking at the time, gosh, I envy you to be able to say that. And I also had the sense that the clarity he had didn't come overnight, but that was a process and a journey that had taken some time. Um, and that the inner life of a Christian helps us cultivate that readiness so that when the angel appears or the love of your life walks through the door or someone asks if they can take over your house or whatever outlandish thing God may be inviting you to, you're ready. And you say, sure. You had me on hello. Hello. Let it be according to your word. So let me simply invite you now to um, put that invitation before you. Um, encourage you to take time to sit or walk or putter, shoot hoops, whatever you have to do to create space and allow God to speak in a whisper. Don't let the busyness and the distractions of this world rob you of that. It's the most precious thing. Because not only do we get a bit of guidance, we get a relationship, a relationship with God that sustains and guides us through the chances and the changes of this life. That's what we're going to celebrate at Christmas. That's what we see in Mary. It's what's available to us when we lean in enough and ask God to speak in a whisper. Will you pray with me? Lord, I give you thanks for these faithful disciples of yours and pray your blessing upon them. I also pray that you would speak to them in the center of their being, guiding them in decisions large and small, placing before them the opportunities and desires that speak so profoundly to them that as soon as they hear the word, they respond as Mary did. And in those long seasons of waiting, Lord, when we don't hear or we don't know, simply ask that you help us remember that you're walking with us still, that you are preparing the soil of our lives, cultivating us in readiness for those moments. That each night we sleep with bread and wake up in your love. 
And the one who reminds us of your loving presence with us is with us always. Bless us, Lord, as we celebrate that and seek to give voice to the ways you speak to us all. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.